Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello. Hi. <laughs> this is Trippy. This is uh, officially the first video, so we're going to be a little all over the place. Not sure where to look exactly. Kind of feel like Ricky Bobby. Don't know what What's to do. What's up, with, everybody? Yeah. Don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, so the, the funny part is our previous uh, recording platform, we just did audio, but we had video for us so we can talk directly to each other, but we're always doing multiple things. Like sometimes Gavin's at work and he's literally, he's such a boss. He's doing business stuff on the side with his coworkers. I'm usually drinking three or four different drinks, uh, like water and protein shakes, not alcoholic drinks. All right. Yes. I mean, come on. And, and on you know what Tuesday afternoon. And also one thing I always do is I always put a joke name in, uh, as a, as oh, I didn't even think I didn't even think about that. At least today's <laughs> is appropriate and not uh, anything obnoxious. But yeah, well, yeah. So, and, and for the record, it's usually obnoxious, not inappropriate. It's usually like right. siphoning off kung fu movie names and throwing them in mixed with mine. But yeah, and, okay. and on top of that, usually our notes are written all over the place, or I have them on my phone, so you'll see me scrolling on my phone, maybe. So I got to come up with a better system for that. Also. Usually, I am totally not presentable. So this is me presentable, and people are probably like, he looks like a bum. So you should have seen me before, usually, because I've nine times out of 10 just finished a workout in my garage here in Fresno, California. Yes, it is the summer. So yes, it is 100 degrees out there. So I'm usually drenched in sweat. Uh, I showered for you guys today. Wow. So you're welcome. You're welcome. And so I do have my tea, and I thought I should use my... Uh, oh. Chinese uh, text. Cup of love. Says love. Yeah, cup of love. Well, I need, I love you. Uh, and then I do happen to have a protein shake today. You'll see me sipping on. And I do happen to have my Yeti full of ice water. So Fair good right. to stay and, hydrated. And, and what, what pray tell are you wearing? What brand is that? It's funny you should ask, Gavin, son, because I thought it would only be appropriate for today, our first video episode, to be wearing oh, the Martial Arts Mania podcast t-shirt designed by none other than Union Designs, Herman Balthazar. That is right. The coolest gear on the planet. That's right. A lot of their stuff, or I should say even most of their stuff, is designed by martial artists for martial artists. Kick-ass martial arts-inspired gear. You can check out their website. You can find them on Instagram, the Union Designs. Uh, they are our one and only sponsor at this point in time. But uh, you know what? If we were to have only one sponsor, I'm glad it's them. Because uh, honestly, as I jokingly say, my wardrobe is usually one of two brands, not counting Under Armour because that's what I, all my training gear is. But my casual streetwear is usually either the Union Designs or Roots of Fight. So it's actually the hat I have on right now, Roots of Fight. And hey, maybe they'll be, want to be a sponsor of ours one day. You, you never know. Why not? You never. You know what? If I work there, come on, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, I think they're technically a Canadian brand. Oh. Well, I or they're based out of New York, but I'm not sure. Like upstate New York, like real upstate New York, maybe. So I'll take your word for it. All right. And uh, what shirt do you have on? I have on. Well, I guess it's the reverse Mission of Justice shirt. It is. Yin -yang. Oh, nice. Purchase day was a gift from my family. When we were I was okay. visiting Hawaii, we came across a store that had the, a Yin Yang shirt. So very figured cool. uh, in honor of the family, in honor of uh, one of the great straight-to-video films. I like it. Mission good, of Justice. Good choice. Yin Yang. And I, I am in my office space, so this is where I will be recording 99.99% of the time, unless uh, Gav and I are recording in person together, but this is my uh, usual space, my Zen Den, as I like to call it, and you are at home today. I'm at, I'm at I guess I'm in my Zen Den, but yes, I, I'm at home today, uh, usually recording from the office, unless you're in town and then we record from here, but uh, trying out a new schedule with work, taking Tuesdays as my... Uh, as my day off. And so okay. we're recording from home, seeing how this works. Yeah. So you don't have nothing, just bright light behind me. Right. So uh, we'll have to figure that one yeah. out. But uh, as far as the videos go, 
it'll probably take me at least an extra day to get this uh, on YouTube, but hopefully in the future they will drop the same day on Wednesdays when our uh, audio version drops. But anyways, enough talk about all of that. What's new with you, good sir? Well, uh, new new work schedule, new school year just launched. Uh, I think everything's going well. Everything's okay. going well. It's very. It was nice and crowded yesterday. Great to have families back. Some uh, families, uh, some of the students already came up and asked, "When's the first uh, kickboxing class with Ooh. with Sensei Sugarfoot?" And I'm like, "Well, usually it's at the near the end of the year, so they get a little time to wait." But uh, it was nice to to see their excitement. But in general if, and specifically for kickboxing. That's right. But if you are interested in training with our mutual sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, the kickboxing legend, you can find him at Peterson Grapplers three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, morning classes, and in the evening. So it's Peterson Grapplers in Santa Clarita, California. And what about on Tuesdays? Any place we can find him these on days? On Tuesday nights, you can typically find him at Yakubian Muay Thai uh, in Chatsworth, California, one of the best Muay Thai gyms in the state of California, but definitely in Southern California. And I believe on Thursday nights, he's at Ace Martial Arts, which is run by Sensei David, who actually just won uh, a Waco kickboxing title in Puerto Rico. Well, that's fantastic. Very good for him. He is a friend of mine, an old training partner. So congrats to you. But anywho... So that's what's new with you. Same old, same old with me. Just uh, the day-to-day grind, training, uh, job searching at the moment. So uh, hopefully something comes to fruition soon. I'm sure it will. Mm. Anything in terms of martial arts movie news today? Uh, I feel like you might have some information for us. Or no. You've got You've got your finger on the pulse. Uh, what 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 news are we referring to? I don't know. <laughs> now uh, I'm confused. Oh. Whoa! I'll yield the floor. Uh, I I really didn't have anything to bring today. Last episode, oh, really? we had the the big news about the House of Fangs, the Bruce Boitation film that Michael Worth and Frank Jang mm-hmm. are putting to go uh, putting together. So definitely, everyone go and check that out. There's an Indiegogo campaign for it right now. House of Fangs. Looks awesome, uh, but other than that, I, I unless is there something I'm forgetting about? We did we talk about the the animated series that's coming out? What animated Which, series? There's an animated series. The the Bruce Lee animated. Yeah, one? but that was a while ago. We talked that about that a while, while ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a new trailer that dropped for that. Oh, okay. That's a, there. We go. There's yeah. some martial arts movie news right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's like, oh man, oh man. Uh, but yeah, otherwise. Uh, you know, there's. I definitely believe that obviously our a lot of the lack of new news is due to the fact that this ongoing strikes are still ongoing. Uh, the, that is the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild. So, I mean, there's not really much new that can be announced. But yeah, we'll just keep our eyes and ears open. As for on streaming and any new releases. Uh, can't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment, but uh, I've just been catching up on some Zatuichi personally because Ooh, I have I the like Criterion that. box set and there's, what, 23, 24 movies in the original run. The funny part is, right now I'm still subscribed to all my streaming services and I've said I'm going to kind of do a purge soon once I finish watching the current series I'm watching and, you know, take maybe three or four months without any streaming services. And I'm like, oh, that'll be the perfect time to watch my Zatoichi movies. Yet I've been watching them quite regularly right now. I just can't help it. They're just the perfect in-between, you Mm -hmm. know, screening to put on. But not only that, they're just all so well-made and they, they churned those bad boys out. And I'm just like, wow, it's... You know, it, I'm not going to call it my new favorite film series because I feel like James Bond is, you know, always got a special place in my heart. But Zatoichi's right up there. It, it's a great film series, and uh, I don't know. I've, I, I really there are a few episodes that just stand out. A few, not episodes, but a few films in the series that just stand out. And uh, I think I told you I used to work at uh, Video Action, one of the video stores. Uh, in downtown Los Angeles and what video action used to do on the side or not as a side, but as their one of their main 
uh, I don't want to say main sources of income, but main areas of focus was releasing Japanese films in America, and they owned the rights to the to the Zatoichi series, and were released and would had a whole had the whole line that they would release. Wow. Uh, so video action. Uh, my good friend Greg Yokoyama used to be uh, be the I guess the name behind Zatoichi in America, and though when it was on video, and maybe even through the initial DVD release, I know that the rights when it comes to a lot of those films floats around and gets shopped shopped around. I should say right. So, and obviously, the box set is through Criterion, so yeah. of the highest quality. And obviously, they are not releasing anything they did not properly get the rights to. No, no, of course. Yeah. I don't mean to, not to imply that others, but yeah, early, early on the first, first wave or second wave of releases in in the U S market was through video action. Well, there you go. That's a cool little trivia fact. Uh, And I think it's, it's, it is definitely, I, I have uh, a newfound appreciation. I shouldn't say newfound, but I have a deep appreciation for those individuals that are re-releasing a lot of these classic martial arts films, whether it's Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, Japanese, et cetera, because finding the rights to some of these films can be a huge hassle. And Michael Worth has talked about it on uh, his The Clones Cast, the Bruce Bloitation podcast, how a lot of times they'll find a pristine, perfect copy of the film, but they have no idea who has the rights to it. Or they get the rights to it, they they purchase it legally, they own the rights, but they can't find a full-fledged copy of the film. So it's it's definitely a hassle. And I feel like in the early days of DVDs, a lot of these films were getting released without people necessarily having the rights to them, including probably this film we're going to be talking about today. So let's segue into our next segment we usually do. So that would be our movie quote. So what do you got for me today, good sir? So today, uh, I've got one quote for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're ready, I'm ready. Here Hit we me. go. You could step on it all the way to New Orleans and still fly. Ooh, so it's a drug reference. I know it that. Is. Yeah. Okay. It's like, but it, can... it's out. It, it is, it is out of context. Right. Because you would not expect this person to ever have a drug reference unless maybe he were playing a character that was undercover. Right. Right. This, oh. It's because the second you started saying it, I realized, oh, man. Hmm. Can you do one of your classic voices or accents or anything to go uh, with Yeah, this I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, the lead up to it. Okay. What, what do you think? You could... You could step on it all the way to New Orleans and still fly. Oh. Hmm. Don't think, not maybe not major acting range with the voice. Okay. Oh, it's, I feel like I just watched this recently, or maybe we just watched this recently. We may have spoken about it recently oh. at bare minimum. Man. You know what? Uh, let's not dwell on it too much. Let me know. What is it? Okay. It's Walker, Texas Ranger. Chuck okay. Norris. Walker okay. undercover. He's gone to Florida. Oh, it's the Kathy Long episode. Yes. There we go. Okay. We did just discuss this recently. So a classic episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. One of my all-time favorite TV shows, if not my all-time favorite. And Coach Kathy was a coach of mine while I was living in Los Angeles. So I got to go and train with her on Wednesday evenings at the Inosano Academy for a few years. And that was awesome. She's an amazing, just overall person, amazing human being. But also, not only was she a phenomenal fighter and pioneer for female kickboxers, she's also an incredible coach. So if you ever have the opportunity to train with her, I suggest you go do it. But anywho... And where would one train with her now? That is a good question, actually. She relocated to the Seattle area, so I'm not sure. uh, But I know she's been working a lot with uh, or started working with uh, Team USA kickboxing and uh, doing work with their fighters. But I I assume she's still based out of the Seattle area. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll check in with her. I haven't spoken with her in a couple months. We text every once in a while. So excellent question. I'll try to give everybody an update on that. But are you ready to talk about the movie we're talking about today? I am ready. Okay, excellent. So today, we are talking about the 1980s classic ninja samurai karate jiu-jitsu 
action film, Shogun's Ninja. Starring? Starring a plethora of amazing actors, but particularly two of my all-time favorites, including the late, great Sonny Chiba, my hero, one of my greatest inspirations in the martial arts. I unfortunately do not have a poster up of him yet, but I am actually commissioning someone to Ooh. make one for me. Yeah. So, uh, the late, great Sonny Chiba, and of course, Haruyuki Sanada, a.k.a. Henry Sanada, a.k.a. Duke Sanada, and uh, Sushiomi, one of the uh, uh, the sometimes forgotten pioneers of female martial arts cinema, uh, and a lot of familiar players from that era, from the the Sunny Chiba action uh, team and so forth. But yeah, so this film, this film, this episode's a few weeks in the making. It is... Uh, <laughs> This movie has been a favorite of mine for about the past 20-something years. Uh, so I first saw this movie when, I've mentioned this before, I was one of those people that was reluctant to switch over from VHS to DVD. I was like, no, forget that. I've already got my whole collection of VHS, and I, I don't want this new technology. About I was, I was like a 60-year-old man when I was 12. Uh, but... You know, in the late 90s, I held out. And finally, by the early 2000s, you know, it was becoming uh, a bit of a hassle even to get the movies you wanted on VHS. But then probably the main reason I switched over was the ability to buy these box sets of mm -hmm. kung fu movies, martial arts movies, where you'd get literally about 20 movies, maybe four discs or five discs, so like four on a DVD or five on a DVD of a bunch of old school kung fu movies, sometimes Japanese cinema, uh, you know, not Chambara, like older, more 70s, 80s style ones, uh, Taiwanese kung fu movies, whereas I was kind of mentioning before, probably they didn't even have the rights to them, but, you know, I mean, who was really going to be monitoring them? And they were usually pan and scan rips from obviously old VHS copies. So usually they weren't of very high quality, but that was kind of what got me to switch over. Cause I'd be like, wait, this, this DVD pack is 20 bucks and I get 20 movies. That's a killer deal. So even if there was of the 20 movies, only like five that you really wanted to watch, it was still a pretty good deal. And I, I don't have any of the cases anymore. I don't think otherwise I bust it out. I still have a lot of those old DVDs where it's got like mm -hmm. four or five movies on them. But this film was in one of those packs, one of the original ones I bought. And this was probably right around when I was getting into Sunny Chiba. Because when I first saw Sunny Chiba, as I once again mentioned before, uh, it was the Street Fighter taped off of TBS Superstation at like two in the morning. It was after I taped Dragons Forever. And it was and a high, highly edited version of the Street Fighter. So and if, it was, if, it was, if it was on TBS, it was not at 2 a.m. It was at 2.05 a.m. Oh, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Or especially if there was a baseball game earlier. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so by this point, I had now re-seen the Street Fighter series, fell in love with it, fell in love with Sonny Chiba. So I see this film. And Haruyuki Sonata, obviously, I already knew just from, uh, he, you know, Royal Warriors and some of his other work. This was kind of right as he was about to hit it, like, I'd say big in America, but he's obviously a well-recognized character actor. But, you know, he this was right before The Last Samurai, right, you know, before Rush Hour 3, right before him just being in all these different American films. Because now, I'd say most people probably would recognize him. He, obviously, most recently, he was in John Wick 4. But, uh, yeah, so I saw this movie and just thought, this is some crazy stuff. Now, a lot of the other films that you know, the, the Japanese action club or the Sunny Chiba action club, the, the films that they were, they took part in and they made, obviously you have the straightforward, like karate martial arts films in the seventies, but in the late seventies, early eighties, they started doing a lot of these blended genre, uh, samurai sci-fi fantasy type pictures. Some of them were very heavy on the fantasy side. Think more like zoo warriors as a comparison for Hong Kong cinema. Others were, more straightforward kind of action or adventure movies. This one is one of the more straightforward action and adventure movies, but not without its very random, weird elements, which we will get to soon. So when was the first time you saw this film? Uh, 
I just finished it about five minutes ago. <laughs> no, so the first the first time I saw this film, I definitely rented it from the Mitsua uh, grocery store. They're in inside the plaza in Torrance. There was a Japanese video store, so there was a period where I had just entered the realm of Sony Chiba. So for me, it's also what or one of my early Sony Chibas, or at least where I was aware he was in the film. Mm-hmm. Because as as we've discussed before, there are times where we watch films unaware of who all these players are. And my my introduction was probably through uh, to Sony Chiba was through Shogun's Shadow, the oh. Ken Ogata, Ogata Ken film, which yeah. is extremely bonkers. But I enjoyed that film so much. The that, one you were watching earlier today. Yeah, I just I just like doing yeah. a, you know, getting a taste of that film again, which is, like I said, completely bonkers. In which we both right highly, reco- highly recommend, by the way. And Shout Factory uh, released a Sunny Chiba box set of remastered Blu-rays, and that's in there. Go go buy that. Yeah, You won't yeah, be disappointed. It, and that, that film is, it's bonkers. It's bonkers in all the right ways. So that I, I think, uh, I think my order of watching was that film, then a few other films. I think there's a, a Japanese movie called Itsuka Gira Gira Suru, something along those lines that also has Sony Chiba in it. And then from there, so it may have been that film and Shogun's Assassin, and then Shogun's Ninja, which excellent is uh, the most Hong Kong esque film, perhaps outside of hong kong or i should say outside of hong kong taiwan outside of hong kong funding because okay so you're talking about today's movie this movie yes yeah there's because, definitely wow a- like this you j- so i hadn't watched it since then and then when you brought it up i rewatched it obviously it's been showing up as i you know i've been sending you screenshots in our twitter thread a lot as well like hey guys have you seen this this is a great film and uh it's just so funny how it's how it's like popping up all over the place. I don't know if it's because it's now back on Tubi or because you brought it up. It's now in my I'm paying attention to it. But what a fun watch it was back then. And what a fun watch it was again over the last three weeks when we were going to originally record. And I just got to say, Sifu Alex Richter at the uh, Kung Fu uh, or the the uh, Kung Fu Genius podcast, always having the, the sirens in the background because he's like, it's New York. Guess what? Gavin's in Venice Beach, equally as filled with police sirens and random homeless people fighting and breaking into cars. So you may hear <laughs> some noise in the background once in a while. But today I figure we're going to go right into the plot. And you know what we've never thought of doing for some reason? Is actually just reading the blurb off of the DVD if we have it. So yes, mm. I do have the actual DVD for Shogun's Ninja. And this is part of the... Sunichiba collection. So obviously the original version I watched was in one of those big DVD packs. It was not a terrible quality version, which is I believe probably the one you watched on YouTube, but it was actually dubbed in English. And so I would love to rewatch the classic uh, English dub of it. So I really hope somebody does a Blu-ray release for this. In fact, the movies on the Sunny Chiba collection, somebody else must have the rights. And because I can't imagine why they haven't done a blu-ray release for all the masoyama films he did for for example this one like shogun's ninja gi samurai uh it's probably because somebody else has the rights to them and they're just holding on to them for some reason but this would be an amazing one and i would love for it to also have the classic english dub but i'm gonna go ahead and read the blurb directly from the back of the dvd are you ready good sir i am ready okay hideyoshi played by Asao Koike from G.I. Samurai, a power-hungry warlord, sends his war commander, Shiranu, played by Sunny Chiba, to the Momochi Fort to destroy the Momochi clan. Makes sense, the Momochi clan is at the Momochi Fort. Uh, (laughs) The Iga Ninja group, and to obtain its hidden gold. Two daggers tell where the hidden gold is located. One is in the possession of Sandayu Momochi, head of the Momochi family. But who has the other? That should be a question, by the way. And it was a period, hence why I wasn't ready for that. But, but who <laughs> has the other? Uh, <laughs> uh, midst the fierce war with the Koga Force, another ninja faction, all the Momochi clan is killed, except for Takamaru, played by Hiroyuki Sanada, mm. Ninja Wars, who escapes overseas. Ten years later, he returns for revenge. So they pretty much took most of that blurb is based off of the first five minutes of the film 
and then they just finish with, and then he returns for revenge. So that's the basic setup. Yes, uh, the Momochi clan is being wiped out by Sunny Chiba and company. The young warlord's son, uh, Takamuro, escapes, ends up in China, becomes a master of Chinese kung fu, returns 10 years later as now a young man in mm -hmm. order to restore his family's glory and find the other dagger, because he has one, with the hidden map or see the map to the hidden treasure uh so then they would have the funds to probably you know restart their their clan as well so yeah that's the basic premise uh it's a setup for a lot of very cool innovative martial arts action both in the striking department so hand-to-hand -hand, uh mm -hmm. grappling department there's some great scenes of just straight kind of traditional jujitsu uh, and then also we obviously get some great weapon work in this film, uh, some great sword play, especially on the part of Seni Chiba, and then some great knife play from uh, Haruyuki Sanada, and a lot of innovative techniques too. So that's something this film uh, utilized a lot of. And I think it's definitely, there, there's a lot of comparisons like you mentioned earlier to Hong Kong cinema and, and particularly maybe even Taiwanese cinema at that time. It, it was around the same time that the ninja films were going to start becoming huge worldwide, whether it was canon films in America doing the Shokazugi ninja films or Taiwanese cinema with Alexander Lowe Ray and a lot of the ninja films he did. Obviously, there was ninja-themed films going on in Japan. So there's definitely probably going to be borrowed elements amongst all of them or just some weird synchronicity where like they were all kind of thinking the same thing. What would ninjas do? So in this film, we get grounded, real action. We get some wire work. We get some uh, spider ninjas, I think is what they are, like ninjas that can climb trees and fly through the air, sort of like uh, kind of like a, a bat, like whoosh, not like straight flying, like they have superpowers. It's, but, it's like, uh, it, so it, and it's uh it's different wire work in Japanese right. cinema, particularly in Sony, uh, Sony Chiba cinema than we might find in uh, the wire work or the wire foo, but not just wire foo, but like the, the, the tea, the tree top floating that we yeah. see in a lot of uh, Chinese uh, martial art films. It's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, it's floats, but it's like a faster float. If that makes sense, it's a, I don't know. It's mm -hmm. more like angular. Uh, and again, rewatching this film, rewatching Shogun Shadow, it there's a lot of that unique wire work, which is directed by Sony Chiba, as I understand it, as the action director. I, I presume that would fall under his purview. But the 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 floating is, it's light but direct, and it's well. I'm I'm trying to think of the animal that it compares to. What's the animal? Um, and I'm terrible. Like a, like a panther. No, that jumps across and like spreads its wings. It can't really fly. Oh, Does like a monkey. There's like monkeys uh, with yes, wing arms. Exactly. What, what, see, I was always so bad at, even in elementary school, I was, for some reason, I just didn't really care about animals. Like, you know, some kids are obsessed, but I, I can, I can't think of the name of it, but like those monkeys with wings is what they yeah. look like when they kind of float across. Whereas with, you, with like wuxia, uh, the wuxia pen, like traditional wuxia films, the wire work is more like it's like a gentle, like they're kind of running across the, the trees. Think Crouching yes. Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's like supernatural abilities. These are more like it's an extension of, you know, maybe like, look, we can kind of really do it. And then later you've got some people doing some Tarzan action where they're straight up swinging between trees. So it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's definitely different. It isn't, it is, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it is kind of animalistic, but like mythical animalistic where, where they've become the animals. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it just works in these films so well. Agreed. I mean, this whole film, I mean, this, you know, we, we were talking about the different elements that the different types of file, uh, fighting styles that we see in this film. And we also have some great training sequences Yeah, that so are, that it's like Sonata doing what nobody else has been able to do outside of Hong Kong, except for maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme and his kickboxer series. Yeah. So that's one of the main things this has is a straight up like training montage, like a martial arts learning training montage. It makes it very comparable to, the traditional Kung Fu film. But on top of that, the whole time, you can't help but think that Haruyuki Sanada, and this was his first starring role. He had been appearing in movies since he was a kid, like off and mm -hmm. on. 
uh, he, uh, before he was involved with the Japanese Action Club, and because he's a protege of Sonny Chiba. And then as a young uh, teen, he was also in The Executioner, uh, the Sonny Chiba film where he plays a young Sonny Chiba. So he was trained under Sonny Chiba, but then like went back to school, like Sonny Chiba encouraged him to stay in school and finish all that. And then, so this was his first starring role. And you can't help but think he was supposed to be Japan's answer to Jackie Chan. Well, I mean, he's got Jackie Chan's hair. He's got a ripped physique. He's got that boyish charm. They really try to utilize the playfulness, acrobatic abilities, insane martial arts skills. And he sings the main theme of the film. Yes. Uh, which we hear a few times in the film. Yes. Uh, no, I and when you say is the, the Jackie Chan hair, this is like young master uh, era Jackie Chan uh, hair that I don't know. It's if you're trying to do Jackie Chan knockoff filmmaking, you would want Sonata in that film because he just fit the bill. As yeah, far this as is like, 19, 1981, the year after the Young Masters. So, and Young Master yeah. was a big hit in Japan. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it's definitely hitting the market at the right time. And like I said, this was the most Hong Kong-esque film that I've seen outside of Hong Kong or outside of Hong Kong uh, filmmaking funding, funding filmmaking. However, whichever order you want to put that in. But this, this Sony Chiba with this film, he, he, with his action direction, took, took all the elements that we love to see in Hong Kong films, particularly at that time, in Japan would be the Jackie Chan films, the training sequences, the comedy, the, the, the shooting techniques sort of a little wider and brought that into a Japanese film, but then also added a lot of the Japanese fighting styles that you don't see in the Hong Kong films, particularly with the swords, with the, I love the horse riding sequences. And so it, if this film were to hit outside of the Japanese market, then they're also getting an export of Japanese style martial arts in the film, which is what I love. It's, it's, it's incorporating the best of from other markets and then like packaging that with Japanese martial arts so that, so that the world is not exposed to not just exposed to what they can get in Hong Kong, but something they can only get from Japanese cinema and specifically only from a Sony Chiba film. Well stated. And there was definitely mutual respect there at this point. Uh, Sonny Chiba hadn't really done Hong Kong cinema. He did one film, Soul of Chiba, which was, I think was like a co-production, really weird movie. You can watch mm -hmm. it. I think it's on Tubi uh, or, you know, Prime one of the, with one of the commercial options. But it wasn't, it wouldn't be till like the 90s that he would start appearing once in a while in uh, some Hong Kong films. And then particularly in the Storm Riders, which I believe he was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Hong Kong Film Awards. But there was definitely a mutual respect between Sonny Chiba and Jackie Chan, so much so they were aware of each other, where I do believe there's a picture of them together, but it was long rumored that Jackie Chan made like a cameo appearance, I think, in Ninja Wars. And if I'm not mistaken, even in his first biography, which I have behind me, it, it lists him as doing stunt stunt work in there. But that, that rumor's been kind of debunked. But obviously, I'd imagine there was a mutual respect for, that, uh, for one another, uh, there's been all sorts of rumors. There was rumors that Sonny Chiba was supposed to be in the next Bruce Lee film before he died, the one that they were trying to, you know, get George Lazenby in. But supposedly George Lazenby was supposed to be in Game of Death, and I don't think they were trying to put Sonny Chiba in Game of Death. So once again, rumors spread like wildfire. But that being said, there was obviously uh, Hong Kong cinema was was definitely heavily influenced by Japanese cinema in the sense, even with the sh all the way back to the Shaw Brothers bringing over Japanese cinematographers to no, work you're, in you're, Hong Kong, and Bruce Lee's own personal yeah. yeah, Bruce Lee's personal influence from the Chambada films, and you know being aware of such series such as Zatoichi, which we were talking about earlier. So it goes back and forth, right? Even I mean, and it works even with American films and Hong Kong cinema being inspired by some of the stunt work of like the James Bond films and kind of the hard hitting stunts. And then later, you know, America being inspired by Hong Kong, it goes back and forth, right? Like creativity, ingenuity and so forth. But let's get back to talking about this film in particular. So there's a, there's some action in the opening sequence, which as I read off the back of the box, mostly explains when uh, the Momochi clan is pretty much wiped out. We get to see some cool wire work with Sonny Chiba and his two henchmen. Uh, he has two henchmen, I believe. One is mute and one is deaf. And 
you know, they, they do some cool little wire work thing where they jump on his shoulders and they're doing kind of like a Muppet man thing where there's three of them not wearing a trench coat, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so, and we get some little stuff like that, but it isn't until we get our opening credits and we have, uh, I can, uh, Takamura returning from China and, you know, making it back to Japan. And the first action sequence is him stopping some, uh, soldiers from, I guess he kind of goes into like a, what would that be like a, a strip show? Uh, but you know, it's that like a feudal Japan style, like the girls are, you know, dancing on stage and kissing each other and stuff. What, what do you know what kind of theater that is? Or I'm not sure. Uh, it's probably something in the, uh, uh, the Yoshiwara district, but I will say that I don't remember seeing that sequence this time around. But it's maybe the whole, you, it's the whole opening action sequence where it's our first introduction to uh, Takamura's like fighting skills. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to the background then. Oh, maybe. So pretty much yeah. they're trying to grab the girls and then he stops them. And so it starts off with him using, I guess, what would supposedly be some chin na, like Chinese joint manipulation on the guy, like ah, and then he throws the guy. He does what what actually looks more like a, a Shirinji Kempo style throw, but that would make sense because Shirinji Kempo supposedly came from Shaolin Kung Fu. So, uh, and then it eventually goes to the outside, which is where we also get, and this is something that just tripped me out as a kid. And I think this is why I was so uh, fascinated by this film while I, why I was so enthralled because it was so kind of uh, counterintuitive, the music choices for the action scene. So he gets I, set up, the guys circle him, and as opposed to some even instrumental or rock music it's like a, a smooth jazz like and you're like okay i don't know why i like this but i do and then that's when we get kind of our first real fight scene and we get to see sonata son's incredible kicking abilities but the other cool innovative thing they do in this scene is this is one of the first times you, you saw son and chiba utilize it in karate warriors but in all honesty i think it was better suited for Sonata Sun's uh, kicking abilities than uh, even Sonny Chiba, who had a much harder style, is they do this cool effect of slow to fast to slow motion, which mm -hmm. for most people, the first time they saw this was probably in Brotherhood of the Wolf. Because I remember when Brotherhood of the Wolf came out when I was in high school, I'd already seen this film and be like, oh, that's amazing. But I've already seen that in uh, Shogun's Ninja. But it's that. It, <laughs> so that's the effect we're talking about. It's a very cool uh, slow motion speed up and then slow motion finish. And it, yeah, it, it just really accentuates the action. And I, you know, that's, I didn't think that that, I was not sure where that technique was necessarily introduced in cinema, but to think that maybe it came through the mind of Chiba, uh, makes sense. Uh, again, maybe I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't think of a film that used that beforehand, but what it really does, this technique, is it shows the beauty by going slow. So the audience is able to actually uh, see the full extension, the full motion, the full movement. And then by going fast, all of a sudden you feel that power. Yeah. And then switching back to slow, it's just so, it, and then it returns to, it, it allows us to like soak in that power. It's really a great filming technique and uh, filmmaking technique for action scenes. And I, I would love to like research where, where this started or, or even check out. Uh... Well, I, I don't know the name of it. I remember asking when I was in undergrad, I think I asked some, like one of my more tech savvy friends, like what is going on here? And I know it's, they're playing with the shutter speed. So they're probably playing with the frames per second that they're filming and the shutter speed. And it's like a mm -hmm. combined element because it's not just uh it's definitely not just the frame per second and then speeding it back up and slowing it. It's also something with the actual lens and camera that does it. So it's really cool. I mean, and obviously Sam Peckinpah is given credit for kind of being the first to utilize slow motion within action. And then John mm -hmm. Wu was directly inspired by him. And then maybe it was just, I don't know, maybe like one day the, the Japanese action club was just playing around with the camera and did it on accident or like, Hey, that looks cool. But either which way we only get it in that first opening sequence and that's cool. You know, you don't want to overdo things like that, but yeah, this, that, that first scene introduces us to, uh, Haruki Sonata now as a young man, a badass with incredible martial arts abilities. 
And so he escapes the authorities, but he draws the attention of a few individuals who follow him down, ends up there, his childhood friends from the Momochi clan. They uh -huh. have been uh, kind of formed a Robin Hood style group. And I forget the name there. They're given a name of a singular individual because the authorities think it's just one person, but they've been stealing gold. They've been trying to get ready for his eventual return to where the Momochi clan can be lifted up again. But one of their uh, members, he doubts the return. I mean, he, he knows that it's uh, Takamoro, but he, he doubts he, Takamoro's abilities. He thinks, yes. this kid, let me try my jujitsu on you. So they have a little bit of a friendly match where at first his jujitsu is, I wouldn't say getting the best of him. I think Takamura's testing him out. So he's doing some traditional jujitsu uh, throws, uh, which would now be recognized probably as judo techniques. But eventually he tries throwing Takamura and Takamura whoop, flips in the air, lands on his feet, whoop, flips in the air, lands on his feet. Then he starts attacking back and then easily defeats his friend, earns his friend's respect. They're all happy. Yay. So once again, so just another cool sequence. And this one, we also, uh, of course, Takamura's shirt gets ripped off and we get to see uh, Haruki Sonata's rips physique, which we technically saw, I think, in the opening credits when he's rowing the boat. But here we really see it on display. Just a very lean, sinewy like physique, very comparable to Jackie Chan. Like I'd say like halfway between a Jackie and Bruce Lee. Uh, just a very athletic physique, which seems to be built more so through athleticism as opposed to like weightlifting or anything like that. No, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you know, that sequence is it's short, but man, it really stands out. It's a lot of fun. Um, and you know, when the, the jujitsu throws or the judo throws, when they're happening, they're beautiful. But the moment where a Sonata continues that flip and lands on his feet, just it, it's a turning point again, like we've talked about this before, where we've referenced uh, Willy Wonka in the beginning, where Willy Wonka, Gene Waters walking out with the cane and then does that flip. It's a, uh, it's a, um, it's a moment where all the characters around him understand his level of ability. And it just, I, it's a really fun sequence. Um, and it's, it reminds me, you know, I know we're referencing a lot of Jackie Chan here and there's a, there's good reason to, to reference that, but it reminds me of the, the sequence sort of between Jackie Chan and Yun Biao in Winners and Sinners. It's nice to have fight sequences in martial art films that aren't always life or death. It's yeah. nice to have like friends testing each other because it, it, uh, story-wise, but also action choreography wise it allows the characters to push themselves and allows the audience to see uh make sense of why, why they're not like then going for the jugular they're they're really just testing each other and, and through the test we get to see the full range of sonata yeah and then shortly thereafter we're also introduced to the uh ninjas of the momochi clan which are the spider ninja group uh they are ninjas that wear straight up like camo not black, mm -hmm. like camo. And that's where we get a lot of the wire work and cool sound effects of the... And that's a terrible reenactment of it. But it, imagine as they climb up the tree. So it's, it's very much from behind. You'll see the arms and legs doing this. But it's obviously uh -huh. a wire carrying them up or the... As they go across. <laughs> Those two guys, so, by the way, are so fun to watch. The, the, the two monkey-esque guys. Yeah. But there's also some great work, like eventually when some of the guys get killed and they just fall from really high. Yeah. It's either they're, they do a great job landing directly on a pad we can't see, or it's good kind of wire work carrying them down. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's some very cool, intricate, as we said, playing with aerial work and wire work. But yeah, so eventually what happens is our, our newly reinstated Momochi clan, they are betrayed by the wife of one of the members. So they're captured. Uh, but uh takamuro manages to escape so then the rest of them are going to be all boiled alive for the public takamura comes to rescue them some of the other momochi guys in the crowd come to rescue them a bunch of them get killed it's like a bloody uh war the, this sequence is so fun it's, it's a lot of fun it, it, I, and it's, I, it, I, I, I know you ahead. just described talking about boiling people and people getting killed i'm like this is fun but yes. the sequence the <laughs> way it's shot is so fun you all you have people kind of jumping into the 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 dirt sand and then they all of a sudden you so they jump where they are into the ground and then it's almost like jaws where this 
like ball of sand is moving forward because our uh, protagonist or ninja is under the ground moving under the ground and then they pop back up it's it's the way they shoot it it's a ton of fun so Takamura manages to save a few of them a few of them get killed so that's where we have to talk about the elephant in the room of this film which is the next sequence where they're mourning the loss of their brothers and so they're they're burning the bodies you know uh, which is part of like traditional japanese culture and we get a very very interesting sequence from haruki sonata where he performs what can only be described as an interpretive jazz dance rhythmic gymnastics karate kata and you may think wow that sounds uh that sounds a little convoluted well let me tell you it's <laughs> definitely it's definitely out there so so once again some jazz type music starts playing but obviously with a more serious solemn tone and we see and there's no sync sound because it cuts away to the other members of the group like crying as their friends are dying but we get we get uh Haruki Sana kind of starts to bob his head, right? And then he starts to hit his fists. And then he just like goes into jazz hands. And you're like, okay. And then he goes into a jazz spread. But then he starts doing karate punches. And you're like, okay. But then he goes into jazz hands again. And then, ah. Uh, and then he starts doing flips. You're like, wow, it's really impressive. But he, the consistency of his performance here is a little all over the place. I don't know if this is traditional Japanese culture or what's going on. Uh, okay, he's doing karate. Cool. Oh, the jazz hands again. Okay. Oh, flips. All right, that's cool. Jazz hands. Oh, okay. Karate kata. Jazz hands. And I, I remember even as a kid in the early days of IMDb, when reading about this film, like everyone would bring it up like, what is with the sequence? And I, I have to agree. It is definitely random. But even as a kid, I was like, all right. Okay, it, it's weird, but I'm I'm not hating it. But it's definitely kind of weird, and I don't understand it. But okay, it, it's it's one of those kitchen sink sequences or resume sequences. That's how I like yeah. when I see something like this. If it doesn't work, it's a resume sequence. Well, okay, and if it so, does work, it's kitchen sink. I think you're onto something. I think they're like, all right, so we need to uh, have him perform something out of anger. Maybe he can start doing some karate. I can imagine Haruki Sonata being like. Well, I'm actually classically trained in jazz dance. Oh, snap, you are? Wow, man, imagine <laughs> if he could do some gymnastics too. Actually, I can do rhythmic gymnastics. Which one would you like me to do? Which one? Baby, do all three. Do all three. <laughs> okay, okay, let's let's see. So yeah, if anybody wants to learn a really cool kata, watch that sequence and put that all together and I will be impressed. Yeah, yeah. You know, Good point, because there are a lot of YouTubers out there who redo action scenes. Let's redo this action scene and just remember it's juxtaposed or set, set against uh, a funeral for one of his friends or mentors. Yes, yeah, there you go. There you go. And OK, so shortly thereafter, and I do have some of these names written down there, they're defeated, right? Uh, you know, the, the Momochi clan, they thought things were going well for them. And now not so much, right? A bunch of the ninja have died. A bunch of their friends have died. They're weak. They're hurt. They're falling apart. When suddenly there is the arrival of some sort of master who straight up jumps off the top of a mountain. And this sequence is pretty badass. You see this anime looking master on the top of a mountain who, uh, who calls out, to uh, Takamuro, and then he throws his own staff down, then jumps mm -hmm. off. Then the camera, the camera pans out, and we get like a slow motion shot of this stunt man literally jumping off the mountain. So you could only assume there was some sort of because uh, you don't see him actually land. There's probably some sort of crash pad, but I mean, this is a I huge hope. jump. Yeah, it's like it, it's you know, a, you, it's how many you feet was that jump? Oh, I don't. It's like jumping off of a, a building, like if someone was, uh, you know. Unfortunately, I think the opening sequence of, Le or not opening, but the sequence of Lethal Weapon where they jump off the building and they have the giant crash pad, it's like as high as that building, if not yeah. higher. So, and then the, the badass part is then when it cuts to him actually landing, he lands and then catches his own staff. <laughs> does like yes. one of those kind of quick little anime looking runs. And then he shows up and they're like, oh, well, who are you? And uh, let's see, here, I have the character's name written down and it's supposed to be, let's see here. Oh, they have it spelled a different way, but there they say, Hakunsai Ozawa. And so then they're like, oh, Hakunsai Sensei. And so from the research I've done, and I think they just maybe even pronounce his name differently, I think it's supposed to be Tozawa Hakunsai, who is the, the creator of Gyoku Ryu, 
which was a school of Japanese martial arts that specializes in koshijutsu, shitojutsu, and ninjutsu, which would make sense. Now, when you look up the actual name that they use, uh, I think it was used a lot in lore or you know maybe even comic books or like anime or something so maybe there's a specific cultural reference that japanese audiences would have gotten but uh so really the only difference is uh, rather than ozawa on wikipedia i found him as tozawa so maybe it is just like a soft t uh so yeah they're you know they're like and they obviously recognize who he is and the funny part is he tells takamura stop being a girl because he's like crying and emotional. I'm like, ooh, that's a little outdated, but okay. Uh, so, and then that's when he takes them on. He says like, pretty much, I am going to reinvigorate you. You will rise again and the Momoshi clan will be victorious. Well, I, I, lo- I love that he tells him to stop being a girl because he's crying. But like, if he were there a few minutes ago, he would have seen like some funky dancing to think like, hey, maybe stop dancing, mourn. Well, imagine if he had showed up then like, Takamura. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and just bounce. He's like, never mind. There's no hope for the Momochi clan. But yeah, and that's where we get our cool training sequence, which one, at first is set to our theme song sung by Hiroyuki Sonata. And no, I do not speak Japanese, so I'm not going to try to sing in Japanese. But Gavin speaks in Japanese. Let's go. Let's but I will it. not try to sing in Japanese. Uh, yeah. Okay. But uh, so yeah, and... Right out the get-go, like, you know, obviously the Takamura character is already a phenomenal martial artist and we've already seen his physicality, but my God, it starts off with him. And I remember as a kid just being so blown away with him doing like what we used to call in Taekwondo, like leg raises, right? And Haruyuki Sonata's legs are going like straight up, like UNBL status flexibility, right? And then they're doing some aerial work where they're kind of doing like trapeze type stuff. Uh, and then like one-arm pull-ups, he's doing kip-ups, the kind where... You jump backwards as high as you can, land, and then flip up, jump back. Like, this is the kind of stuff that, for, like, you and Wah status, right? Like, you mm-hmm. and Wah doubling Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. Yes. Uh, but just phenomenal athletic ability. So, obviously, he wasn't raised in the Peking Opera, but he did start training at such a young age and growing up within being, like, a, a protege of Sunny Chiba. Obviously, gymnastics was a huge part of that because Sunny Chiba himself was a world-class gymnast that was training to compete in the Olympics before his back got hurt. And that's when he decided to focus more on martial arts and lucky for us, that's the way it went. But yeah, so that's where we get them starting to learn uh, jujitsu from uh, this jujitsu master who is hardcore to say the least, but I also love his whole get up his whole outfit. It's, you know, the, the long white beard, the long white hair, which once again, I see as kind of like oh anime inspired like or you know even or more manga inspired really at that time like you would have easily seen a character like this in uh lone wolf and cub but also you know comparable to once again the kung fu movie where we get the old kung fu master with long hair but i think this is just kind of a carryover between probably a lot of asian cultures when it comes to the sensei or the shifu or uh anything along those lines great great point okay i was, I was like would you agree no, no, absolutely. And I mean, the, the sequences we get, the, again, like for me, there's so much fun in this film, but what stands out time and time again are the just all the training sequences. They're just yeah. so much fun to, uh, so much fun to uh, watch. And they're pretty, well, they're very impressive. And then they, yeah, so the, there, there are more sequences that come up after this. I did, uh, I don't know if you're hearing it in the background. And normally when we, this is my first time, our first time doing video recording, uh-huh. but Otis is breathing pretty heavy. I got to go like just uh, oh. spend a minute with him. Not a minute, okay. but like like a 30 second. Go for and it, there's a way friend. to add a marker right now if you want to like know where to edit out. I think we're good. Go ahead. Okay. I'll be right there. Okay. So for those of you that don't know, Odie is Gavin's dog. Odie's a fine dog, but he has a little bit of anxiety issues. So occasionally, Gavin has to give him some extra TLC. That includes petting him. That includes putting on YouTube videos for him when he leaves the house. Squirrel videos, to be exact. Leaving little treats for him around the house. 
Okay. All right, then. So, yeah, we've got our jujitsu training sequence. And we should mention also that there's a female character that has been tagging along with them. That was a friend of uh, Takamura's when they were kids in the Momochi clan. After the Momochi clan fell, she was raised by none other than Hattori Hanzo. That's right. Hattori Hanzo, the uh, fictional character throughout Japanese cinema, comic books, obviously carrying over into American cinema with the Kill Bill films. Uh, he's kind of an antagonistic character. So he wants her to steal the knives with the maps on him so that they can get the hidden treasure. But she, although has a great love for her adopted brother of Hattori Hanzo, cannot betray the Momochi clan. So she's caught trying to steal the sword, but then wants Takamura to punish her. The jujitsu master shows up and says, Takamura, you must cut her. And then she's begging, please cut me. And he's like, no, I won't do it. So that's where he actually has to fight his own jujitsu master and beats him, stabs him. And he's like, sensei. And like a true badass, the sensei is pretty much like, you are ready to face the world. And then just walks off like, obviously, but bleeding to death. But Uh yeah. So, and then from there, we segue into our finale, uh, which Tori Hanzo ends up coming to save them uh, at one point. So he becomes a good guy. But not only that, we also get Sushiomi's character has popped up. She's She pops up earlier in the film and is like trying to find Takamoro. Uh, but then like doesn't get to meet him till around this point. And she was pretty much his girlfriend in China. It was her father that took him in and raised him and taught him Shaolin martial arts. And she obviously is in love with him. And in a like, excuse me, in like in a lot of films, Japanese films, Sushiomi's character, and this time she's just playing 100% Chinese. Like in the Sister Street Fighter series, she's supposed to be half Chinese. There was kind of this almost like obsession with making her a Chinese character. She also, once again, performs some lines in Mandarin, some absolutely just terrible Mandarin. I'm like, did they just decide not to have uh, like a language expert on set or a dialect coach? I'm not sure. I've heard this actually comes sometimes, and maybe you can fill us in on this as someone that lived in Japan. Like in Japanese culture, like a lot of times I've been told they actually feel like they speak better English than we do in America. But um, from what I've well, heard is like grammatically, their English is like perfect when they write it and so forth. But obviously spoken is not of the, the highest quality. I'm not sure. Well, I, I, have, I have two thoughts on that. One okay. is I just watched the next Karate Kid. And in that sequence, they go to the temple and everyone is supposed to be Japanese nationals. And when they speak Japanese, you can tell that they're it's not spoken by Japanese nationals. Right. Right. And so that's stuff. a lot of times people think they can get away with that because they don't realize the audience over time becomes larger. Uh, yes. With regard to English, I will say that when I was at uh, Ushita Chugako, so Ushita Junior High School, uh, I was in the English class. I thought my English was just fine. Yeah. And I got, got 40% on one of the exams. And then after that, uh, and it was like I did. I was using conversational English instead of the perfect grammar English. Oh, um, I see. So I so. I didn't realize that that was what was being sought. But regardless, to say the the school principal and my mother came to a conclusion that during English class, Gavin can study more Japanese, and then at home he'll do his uh, uh, correspondence course for American okay, schools. Okay. I, I- I can see where that comes from because even with some of the Chinese they they speak in this film, it's some of it. Obviously, I have the subtitles there. Mine was in the original uh, audio, uh, which, once again, this time, Japan was always filming with sync sound, unlike in Hong Kong. But I can't even make out what she's saying in some of it. Even that, like, some of it I can, but, it, for example, uh, she at one point like says, oh, I trust her, the other female character. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, which would be like, ta, right? but she's like, ta. It's like she she it's like there's no imp trying to put on anything with tones or pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, uh and in her final dying sequence where yeah, I know, spoiler alert, she she gets killed in the finale, but it's like she's saying something to Takamura in Chinese. I can't even make out what it is. Yes, she's supposed to be dying and she's uh, uh, but it's just so I'm like, "Wait, what?" I replayed it like 3 times and I'm like, "I uh-huh. I I cannot understand a word she's saying." Whereas a lot of the other stuff that's the, the one I said before is the one I specifically remember simply because I usually use the term Xinren uh, as opposed to Xiangxin, but uh, which both mean like to trust or to have faith in. But, uh, 
and there were some other ones, same thing. It's just like, okay, I hear what she's saying. It's just a very poor pronunciation. But yeah, anyways, that's Sushi Aoi's character. So now we're segueing. We're going into the finale. It's the Momochi clan versus Sunny Chiba and his group. And we've got uh, Hattori Hanzo and some of his ninjas show up to help them out. Uh, we've got some other characters in there. We've got uh, Takamura's homeboys helping out. It's a great finale. There's horseplay, as Gavin mentioned. There's arrows. There's swordplay. There's knives. There's nunchucks. There's three-sectional staff because Sushiomi's like bodyguard guy comes with her. He's an expert at the three-sectional staff. Sushiomi does some badass nunchuck work, like double nunchucks. And then she does some kind of Tarzan action where she's flying through the trees mm-hmm. upside down, hanging from her feet using nunchucks, which ends up being her demise. I, I saw that one coming. Uh, there's guns. Obviously, there's guns. People getting shot and killed. It's a fantastic finale. We, you know, we could spend some time, a lot of time talking about it, but we unfortunately don't have a lot of time. So, yeah, you, you get a, a great finale. You've had a bunch of action delivered throughout. It's not a short film. Uh, but it doesn't feel overly long because once again, we get all these great action sequences. You have such an amazing soundtrack, the, the cool jazziness, what may seem like anachronistic in a sense because of the time era and this and that it, it doesn't, it just works for some reason. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed it. I've always dug it, uh, the jazziness of the soundtrack and Sonny Chiba as a villain is as much as I love him as a hero, he was just so good as a villain too. And his voice. And that's the other thing I, I love is, as I mentioned, how this is sync sound because we get them actually performing their own dialogue, which in for Hong Kong cinema, we never had until the early 90s. And even up until the mid 90s, there would be certain films that still weren't done with sync sound. It still wasn't their original voices, obviously. Uh, I mean, cause I was watching Iron Monkey the other day and that's not sync sound that even though films at that point had already started to get filmed with it. But uh, because Sonny Chiba just has the voice of either an anti-hero like he was with the Street Fighter or a villain. I know. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's so unique to see his face. And you have to, I have to remind myself, oh, he's playing a villain because he does both. He does both sides of the coin so well. His range of going from anti hero to villain, you know, uh, completely believable. And uh, yeah. I'm I'm really glad that it is his voice. Also, that it's uh, Hiroyuki Sanada's voice as well, which is really so for me. It's weird seeing his young face, and I know we talked about before his young face with the voice because the voice is he grew into that voice. Yeah, a hundred percent. You nailed it. He's like an Al Pacino, where as he got older, his voice evolved, and the voice of current. Haruki Sonata is so different than young one. It's like you would not recognize it. Like when you watch The Godfather and Al Pacino, he's kind of talking like this. Then you get to uh, Son of a Woman and I'm just getting started, which I mean was probably a lot of smoking and boozing too. But it's just, it's a night and day difference. So you're right. You nailed it. But Sonny Chiba was consistent. You go to his youngest roles and he still had that samurai style voice. Yes, Yes. But he's, and also... Because once again, we know what a phenomenal martial artist Sonny Chiba was in terms of not just being trained for the screen, but you know, being one of Masoyama's original Kyokushin Karate black belts, being a Shorinji Kempo uh, black belt. Once again, the rank, I'm not 100% sure off my head. Uh, you know, he has high ranks and all these. Being a Judo black belt. And I believe he was also a uh, black belt or the equivalent in Kendo or maybe Kenjutsu. And you really see that here with some of his sword play. Just his basic stances and poses, like when he even when he holds it, you just see the authenticity. Abs- absolutely. I love watching Sunny Chiba's sword play. Yeah, because it's just uh, and it's just I know it's so, so clean, so crisp. Exactly. Yeah. So clean, so crisp. And you get the power and just being on a set with so many other people who know how to do that sword play, it's I don't know. It, it it feels like perfection. And, you know, that's another thing like, you know, obviously I reference uh, Shogun's Shadow and that's not the film we're talking about here. But what I love about watching Sonny Chiba's career is, and we talked about this before early on in his films, like there was a, uh, a sequence, a fight sequence in the woods in one of his earlier films. He has always been right at the cutting edge of innovation for mm-hmm. action filmmaking. And not only that, not just innovation, but I almost want to say perfection. He works really hard. And there's one sequence we kind of, we didn't really get into. It's one of my favorite sequences. It's where Hiroyuki Sanada is escaping and he's on the rope tied upside down and sort of swinging back and forth. It's a phenomenal sequence for Sanada, but it's so well shot, so believable. And it's, it, 
it kind of feels like uh, something that goes not just back to, say, a Jackie Chan movie, Young Master, a year or two prior. It goes back to the Earl Flynn films or the Zorro films, where it it just feels like a moment of classic Hollywood, but done, done cin- with uh, mature cinematography. So pretty much he's he's being tortured. It's when he and his friends get captured. And I mentioned he escaped. He's hanging upside down from a rope. At this point, he's all by himself. They've been torturing him all day. And he starts to use his own momentum to start swinging because he sees a candle lit. Because once again, this is feudal Japan. They don't have electricity. It's can- uh, like lit. The room's lit by candles. So he, he gets his own momentum going from nothing. And what he does is eventually gets up to the candle, bites it with his mouth to grab it, then does a full yes. body like sit up to burn the rope to escape. But the crazy part is they could have easily done a cut or this away to like show that. No, he does the actual swing. It takes him a few tries, but he swings up and grabs this lit candle with his mouth. And this isn't like a fake, you know, plastic candle. It's a real, he could have burned his face or caught his hair on fire or something, but he manages to swing, grab it with his teeth and then yes. swing back. Uh, and then obviously they cut after that, but still you're like, holy crap. That's, and then I, it, if they told me, hey, AJ, you got to put your face into a flame <laughs> and then grab said flaming candle with your teeth. Try not to burn off and singe your eyebrows, catch your long, beautiful Jackie Chan locks on fire. Uh, good luck. No, yeah, we not. No, it is. It's a fantastic sequence, fantastic performance, but also, like you said, the the the, the long shot, the way it's the way it's cut or not cut in sequences. It's just, it's like, it's masterful filmmaking with performers who can do what you would have wanted to see in a Zorro film. Uh, I don't know. At that point, we're talking 1981, so like 40 years prior, 50 years and you, prior. You would eventually get something. Pretty, pretty close uh, about 17 years later in the late 90s with The Mask of Zorro, one of my all-time favorite films. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. And on that note, let's wrap up this episode on Shogun's Ninja. So, Language Corner, do you have something for us today? I do have something. Okay. It's a very simple word. Ninjas operate, unlike me, with the light in the background, I will be watching this video and seeing how I can adjust. I think okay. I've been moving around a little bit. No, it's very bright. I apologize to our first time watchers. Uh, don't, don't tune us out next time. It'll be great. But like I said, light in the background, ninjas operate in the shadows. Okay. So today's word is shadow. I like it. Let's hear it. Kage. Oh, nice and easy. Yeah. Kage. Kage. Ka- oh, kage. Kage. Wait, so what's the second syllable? Is it a G? K-A-G-E. Kage. Oh, okay, got it. So there's no T at the end. So Kage. Correct. Uh, Kage. 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 And sometimes you would refer to someone who has a shadow, who has something hidden. You would say so-and-so. Kage ga aru. Kage ga aru. God possesses it, makes it possessive. Aru has. So he that person has a shadow. Oh. Today's word is kage. Shadow. Kage. Gavin, kage ga aru. Oh. Gavin, kage, kage ga aru. Kage ga aru. I like it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, my man, this has been fun. First video. Hopefully it'll be up by like Friday. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe it'll be super simple uh, for me to put this all together. But anywho. Thank you for all of our now YouTube viewers. Uh, hopefully, we'll be in the tens of twenties uh, by next year. Yes, welcome to the light of Martial oh. Arts Mania podcast. Excellent. All right. Till next time. Peace. Adios.